Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we acknowledge that there is more to the Christian faith than holding specific beliefs. We are called to live them. And so God, as we look at your word today, I ask that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would challenge us to, to live what it is the word of God teaches us. And so I would ask now, God, that, that what we do not know, you would teach us. And, and what we have not, that you would give us. And what we are not, that you would make us. And now as I get ready to preach, I ask God that you let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. We are this year talking about what's next. That's the theme for the entire year. And it's not a question, it's a statement. We know what's next. The rapture is next. Christ is going to return and he's going to rapture his church. And for those of us who believe, this is something we're anticipating. This is something we're excited about. We're looking forward to it. We're not afraid. We're glad. We're glad that Jesus is coming back. And it's important that, that we know what that means. It's important that we also not get too caught up in the details and miss the whole point. You know, it's easy to get caught up in details. Right now is wedding season around here. We've got a lot of our uh, young adults and others who are, who are getting married. And so I'm, I'm doing the uh, premarital counseling for a number of couples, as, as uh, all of us do for any of us um, staff who do weddings. We do a lot of premarital counseling. And one of the things we have to do during that is help, help brides and grooms understand that this is not about a ceremony. It's not about what dress to wear, or what the bridesmaids look like. It's not about the rehearsal dinner. It's not even about the reception or what happens or doesn't happen during the service. It's about a life of commitment. It's about two lives that are becoming one and that live out their vows to, to remain together for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love, honor, and cherish till death parts them. And, and if they're not careful, many young couples can get so caught up in the details that they can miss the point. Christians often do this with doctrine. Some hear the idea of the sovereignty of God and they get mad and they don't even know why they're mad. Some of them are mad because they say, well, you know, it's all about, it's all about God is sovereign and we don't need to be pragmatists. We don't need to worry about what God's going to do because God's going to do it anyway. And then there's others on the other side who say, you know what? We have to be careful. We don't want to use all the words that the Bible uses like, you know, providence and predestination and elect, you know, because we're responsible and they, they get all caught up in these details and rarely make disciples. They love to argue about which side they're on, whether they want to call it one thing or the other, but instead of acknowledging that Christ is God, that he is good and that others need him, many just get caught up in the details and argue about them. We see it in church polity too. We see folks that get upset about who's the leader, who's in leadership, what are the leaders doing? And rather than spending time seeking to live out the commands of Christ, they, they, they want to sit around and talk about what they don't agree with, what's going on inside the congregation under the headship of Jesus Christ and the leaderships that have been, the leaders that have been put there. And then, and then it's very true of eschatology. This doctrine of the return of Christ there are so many who want to get bent out of shape about who the Antichrist is, about when he's coming, what's going to happen, who gets to be a part of it, who's going to have to stay through the bad part, who gets to get out of there before it gets real tough. And, every, you know, all these ideas, but then we miss the point. 
We got to make sure that we don't miss the point. I'm reading this devotion by Tony Dungy right now. I highly recommend it. It's just a simple daily devotion. Even for guys that don't like football, you'll love his insights. This week, he, he was writing about the very text that we're looking at today about the return of Christ. Look what he said. He said, when and how Christ will, uh, will return will continue to be debated. Surely that is the truth. But look, the thing you need to remember is that he will. He's coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he does, he's going to bring judgment on this world. All of us will be held accountable for our lives. And it makes no sense to get caught up in all the, the details that are debatable. Rather, God has called us to understand our responsibility in light of the fact that he's returning, in light of the fact that he is coming, that he is coming again. And so this is what this series is about. This whole year really is helping us to map out a plan for our forever so that we can live now in light of what is to come. Now, before we get into our text, I want to quickly review where we've been over the past few weeks because we've covered some, some serious land. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians and go over to, uh, to chapter four, where we began this series. And I, I want to just remind you of what's in there, at, at least as it pertains to the last couple of weeks. If you look in verses 13 through 18, you'll be reminded that the rapture is real and is going to happen. Jesus Christ will return from heaven with the angels and with all the souls of the redeemed of God who have gone before uh, there will be clouds, there will be the, the call of the archangel and the trumpet sound, and the dead in Christ will rise. That is, the bodies of the redeemed people of God, whose souls are with God in heaven now, they will come out of their graves with resurrected bodies. And the souls of those who are returning with Christ will, will, will host home in a resurrected body that those who are being raised and then we who are left, we will be raised with the Lord and we will be with the Lord forever. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that exciting to think about? I, I hope that I'm next to a graveyard when that happens. A graveyard of redeemed people just watching those bodies. Woo, woo, woo. Wouldn't it just be awesome? And by the time you figure out what's going on, you're going up too. It's just going to be, it's just going to be tremendous. And so we who are believers, we have so much to look forward to. So in light of this, of this coming rapture, uh, Paul speaks to the church at Thessalonica. You look in chapter five there that we need to anticipate it being a certain way. He says, it's going to happen like, like when a thief comes in the night. There are going to be those who aren't expecting it. It's going, to, it's going to catch them by surprise. But he says it shouldn't catch us by surprise. We need to be ready. We need to be looking for it. The reason why we will, look in verse 5, is because of who we are. It says in verse 5, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. And so this is who we are. And this, this, this needs to be understood. We are children of the light. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean practically for us? That's what our text today shows us. It shows us what this means for those of us who believe. So let's now go to, to verse six of 1 Thessalonians 5. Liz Moran's gonna come and read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Now, as she comes, let me tell you what I want you to do this morning. In this text that she's about to read, there are seven distinctions between things. There are comparisons. There's seven of them. As she's reading, I want to see if you can catch at least a few of them, and then we're going to look at them together. So here we go. Verse 6. Liz, are you ready? Go for it. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not descended us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Liz. Well done. Go ahead and be seated. So did you see any distinctions there? Did you see any differences, comparisons? There's seven of them. Let me show you them. There's light versus darkness. There's day versus night. There's awake versus being asleep. There's sober versus drunk. There's salvation versus wrath. There's alive versus dead. There's hope versus despair. Now understand, all of the things on the right side, these are the things that we are born into and we do naturally because we're born with a sin nature. We are naturally born in sin, separated from God, which puts us in darkness. It makes us people of the night. We are asleep. We are not aware of the greatness of the glory of God. We, we have to get drunk on the things of the world, not just with wine, but drunk with power or pleasure or prestige, whatever it is, possessions, whatever it is that hypes you up and makes you temporarily happy. If you don't have Christ, then that's what you're getting drunk on. And more than that, there's the wrath of God that we are born under. There is death because we're spiritually dead and there is despair. But for those who know and believe the gospel, we are transformed. It's not, it's not just that we have a different mindset. It's not just that we, we think about things differently. We, who we are ontologically, who we are in our being is radically different. And so we become children of the light, children of the day, that we are awake to God. We are sober to the reality of God. We have salvation. We are alive. We have hope. The question that is important to be able to answer is how? How does a person go from being dead to alive, from, from, being, from being drunk to sober? How does a person, how is a person transformed? There's only one way, and it is through Jesus Christ. Understand that God's design is that we be in harmony. But the reality is we all sin. And the reason we sin is because we're sinners. We are born with a sin nature and it's created brokenness. That's why there's so much pain in the world. That's why there's, there's conflict in the world. That's why things are not as they should be because of sin and the brokenness. But God is good and he did not abandon us to our sin and brokenness. Instead, God left heaven became flesh, took on the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He is Messiah. He is God in the flesh. He lived a holy life. And then he took that life and he gave it. He died to pay for our sin. And on the third day he was raised. And that's the gospel. And if we will repent of our sin, if we will repent of the reality that we are of the dark, that, that we are getting drunk on the things of this world, that we are dead to God, that, that we are under the wrath of God, if we will repent of that life and by faith receive his life, we can then pursue and recover God's design. And that's what it means to be a child of the light. That is what we are. Colossians chapter one, verses 13 and 14 describes it beautifully. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. We are out of the dominion of darkness. We are now in the kingdom of light. For everyone who repents and believes in Jesus Christ, we are now under a new head. We are now part of a new kingdom. It is the kingdom of light and we are now his children. So we are the children of light. And the way we live is intentional and it's intense. 
If it's not intentional and it's not intense, I can assure you, you are not living out what Christ has called us to. What we see in our text today is this intentional, intense life of being a, a child of light. And there are some let us statements that are here that I want us to walk through and I want you to take note of. So take note of this first one. As children of the king of light, let us first of all, stay awake. Stay awake. We have been called to life like Lazarus from the grave. We've been called by name to come out of death and to remove those, those grave clothes and put on the, the new life that we've been given in Jesus Christ. To sleep here, this word sleep, it says here, so then let us not sleep. This is not the same idiom. This is not the same word as what we see in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Their sleep is talking about death. Sleep here is, is talking about an ignorance of or an apathy to or a rejection of the reality of Jesus Christ, his, his coming, his death, his resurrection, and his coming again. And so Paul is writing to the church here and says, so then let us not sleep. Let us not be oblivious as others are, as others do, but let us keep awake and sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. So to sleep, as one commentator said, is to be morally and spiritually disengaged and or living without a consciousness of the coming day. Friends, God calls us to live soberly in light of the return of Jesus Christ. If you're taking that seriously, that impacts everything you do with your time and your money, your emotions, and, and, and the way in which you focus on your work at school and, and your vocation and in your neighborhood. It changes everything. It's not just something you do on Sunday for a couple of hours. It's something that you do every day of your life because you've been made alive to Christ. And if you're not, you're missing it. What you're doing is you're living in the dark and, and, and probably verse seven describes a lot of the desires of your heart, whether they're acted on or not. Because that's what happens when you're not living in the light. Not only are you tempted, but you tempted in desire. And a desire often leads to the behavior. And so you miss out. When I was a freshman in college, we had a pretty serious problem in that um, the athletes, the football team, uh, was not getting to class. They were literally not going to class. And the reason why is because they were partying all night. And so to help this, our coach created a new policy. And the policy was everyone had to be not only in their dorm room, but actually tucked in their beds by 10 o'clock. And to make sure this policy was enacted, our strength coach, Doc Crease, 6'4", 280 pounds, tucked us into bed every single night. Every night, beginning at 10 o'clock, he would go into every dorm room and he would touch the head of every single player because apparently someone had put a mannequin in their bed one night. And so now that he had to touch the head, amazingly, the attendance in class went up, but not completely, not completely because what happened and what coach wasn't aware of, Doc Kreese came at 10. He was usually gone at 11, but the party didn't start till 12. And so every night I'd put my earplugs in, but even with it at 12 o'clock, you know, it just, it would just start. And, and it's a reminder that, you know, as believers, we can have rules. We can, we can know the law of God. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're actually going to be able to live as children of the light. See, to live as children of the light, you have to have a love for God. See, when you love God, you keep his law. 
just because you keep God's law, it doesn't mean that you love God. Law does not lead to love, but love always leads to keeping the law. And, and what we need to do is we need to be alive to the love of God. And as children of the light, we, we need to wake up. We need to stay awake to the reality and understand that we're going to be tempted to stumble. And if we're living in the darkness, if we are not awake to the reality of God, we will sin and we will live as unbelievers. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on 1 Thessalonians, look what he wrote. It is possible that even believers may be tempted to live like unbelievers. That's true. And, and some of you would say, uh, yeah, that's me. I get that. What they need in that case is not information about when the day is coming and the fond hope that they can quickly put their lives in order at the last minute, but strong commands to live as people who belong to the day. Again, they must not do what other people do at night, whether carousing or sleeping, but must be alert and ready for the Lord. Friends, in light of what's next, we need to be ready for the return of Christ at any moment. And we need to be awake to that reality. And as children of light, let us stay awake. Secondly, we got to be prepared. So as children of the king of light, let us be prepared, not just stay awake and then say, oh, okay, at least I know what's going on. No, no, we got to be prepared. What does that mean? Look in verse eight. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Please understand, we are living in a spiritual battlefield. We are in spiritual warfare. And if you don't believe that, and if you don't feel it, let me tell you why. It's because you're asleep. If you're not daily needing to, to feed on the word of God, if you are not daily needing to ask God to bring light and hope to your life and to pray for others that are in your world, it's because you're asleep. And you have no clue to the intensity of the reality of what is coming against you. We are in a spiritual battle. And if you are married, this devil wants to destroy your marriage. And if you plan to get married, this devil wants to destroy you now so that you can never have a healthy marriage. He wants you to have the wrong idea about physical intimacy. He wants you to have the wrong idea about what it is to commit your life to someone else and to serve that person. There are so many today who are getting married who think, oh, this is about me getting what I want. Marriage is about two fallen people having been redeemed by the love of Jesus Christ, loving one another unconditionally with the same love that Jesus Christ has given to us. And if you don't get that, you're, you're gonna fall, you're gonna fail. And you gotta understand, this is something you gotta fight for. Not only that, the enemy is trying to constantly convince us that we can't trust God, that he's forgotten us, that our something, whatever it is, whatever issue it is that you're facing today, the enemy wants us to believe that our God is not bigger. And that he is as just much of a victim of what we're going through as we are. The enemy wants us to believe that, that there is no absolute truth. See, the enemy, if he can convince us that, that there's no real truth, then, then we won't have anything to live for. Here's what the enemy wants to do and what he's doing in our culture today. He wants us to believe that there is a personal spiritual truth, but it has nothing to do with the real secular world in which we live. He, and what he wants to, for us to believe is, hey, do what you want on Sunday. Just don't bring it to the marketplace and don't bring it to the, the public square, or to politics. Keep that private because after all, there is no absolute truth. And that is a lie there is. There is an absolute truth. And you need to decide and we need to decide. And we've got to come to a conclusion about what is your truth? What is it you're going to depend on as absolute 
if it's not the word of God, it's going to be something. Maybe it's your mom's opinion. Maybe it's your dad's. Maybe it's your, your professor at school. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's Fox News. Maybe it's CNN. What is your truth? For some of you, it's your feelings. However I feel, whatever I feel must be true. And I feel sorry for you (laughs) because the heart, the heart is deceived. Oh, my friends. I know some of you right now, it feels like it's 1215. You should be going to lunch. It's 1145. All right. (laughs) So, so how you feel and what the reality is, it's not always going to be the same thing. We need an absolute true North. And that is what the word of God is. It is a truth. And the enemy does not want us to be able to discern truth from error. He wants us to accept whatever culture says is normal, whatever culture says is right and good. He just wants us to float along and go with it. But God has not given us that option. We must know the truth. We must be awake and we must be prepared for the battle. Be prepared. We've got this little uh, soccer team I'm coaching right now and uh, we are having so much fun. These, these little guys... Um, they, they, they work so hard together. But before every game, the, the little referee comes over and he has to check their armor. He's got to make sure they're ready. So he s- checks to make sure they have shin guards and cleats every time, the right kind of cleats every game. Well, you guys know, I don't know a lot about soccer. I've been doing this for more than a decade with, with kids. I still don't understand who's offsides and why. The ball wasn't snapped. I saw no movement and still they call offsides. I don't understand. I'm sure it's true. It's just crazy to me. But I don't know a lot about it. So I didn't check a practice or two ago to make sure everyone had on their armor, that everyone had on their shin guards. And one little guy got out there. He got kicked right in the shin. Have you ever been kicked right in the shin? I mean, right in the bone, down to the... I mean, it hurt so bad. I wanted to cry with him. It looked so painful. Well, he wears his shin guards now, though, right? He's very, very, very intentional about that. Friends, please don't wait until you get your spiritual bottom kicked before you put on the armor of God. Get it on now and get ready for the battle. You say, what what do I have to do to prepare for the battle? First thing you got to realize you're in it. He says, be sober. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Get real. You have a devil who hates you. Get real about that. Let that not scare you, just make you aware that you've got to be ready. And then it says, having put on the breastplate of faith, we, we have already been given the armor of God when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Now we've got to put the armor to work. And what is this armor? It's the three things that Paul always talks about. It's, it's, it's what some commentators refer to as the Pauline triad. Faith, hope, and love. Those are our weapons. So he speaks here of a breastplate that has faith and love. Now, again, I know you go to Ephesians 6, isn't there a sword and isn't there a shield? It's not about the, what the weaponry, it's, it's, it's descriptor. What matters is that we have the, the actual thing that gets it done. And what gets it done in the war, the spiritual war? Faith, love, and hope. So what is faith? Faith is is what saves us and sustains us spiritually. We are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, you know this one, uh, verse 8. Do you have that one? And by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. It It is our believing in what Christ has done. Now let me show you three things faith does. First is this. Faith is an essential protection against temptation because it is trust in God's promise, plan, and truth. 
Faith is not simply saying no to sin. It's saying yes to God's plan. Yes to God's truth. Yes to God's promise. It's not just a no. It's a better yes. If, if you have faith, you're living for a better yes. You're living for what is best. Second, it is unwavering belief in God's word that protects us from temptation's arrows. Again, if you do not have and know the word of God, every temptation is a likelihood for you to fail. Because if you don't have a true north and you know, don't know what's right and wrong and what God's word has said, then there's going to be a, a, a very compelling argument that someone's going to give you and you will fall into that line of thinking if you don't know the truth of God's word. Third thing is this, and this is big. Don't miss this. Looking at it negatively, it is unbelief that characterizes all sin. Do you see that? It is unbelief that characterizes all sin. When believers sin, they have believed Satan's lie. Every sin is a rejection of the love and the authority of God. Every time we sin, we are saying, I agree with Satan and I disagree with you, God. And there's some that don't even know they're disagreeing with God. And the reason they don't know is because they don't know the Bible. They don't know what the word of God says. And so they have no clue that they're even disagreeing with God and telling him no. Like a two-year-old before a parent who has said, this is the way it's going to be. No. Every time we sin, that's what we're doing to God. Here's what we're saying to God. You're wrong. I'm right. And that comes from unbelief. Faith allows us to see what is true, to live for the promises and the plans of God that are true so that we can overcome temptation and live for what is best. And we do that because of the love of God. Love is the ultimate purpose of God. Again, don't miss this. Love for God is essential as perfect love for him yields perfect obedience to him. If you want to be obedient to God, all you got to do is love him. Some of you are trying to be obedient to him so he'll love you. He already loves you. You need to love him. To love him with the, with the grace that he's given and the faith that he's given. And when you love him, you will obey him. Without love, without love, all, all this is is institutional religion, which is dead. It's, it's divine orthodoxy, which alone is dead. It, it is, it is uh, social activism at best. But without love, it's dead. We are clanging symbols. We are sound that has no meaning and no purpose, as 1 Corinthians 13 describes so very well. Friends, this is not a, a, about getting things done simply. It's about loving the God who does all good things. And so when we have faith, we understand the love. And when we receive the love, in turn, we love him and we obey him. And that produces in us the capacity for hope. Hope is powerful. Hope is what fuels our lives to go forward. Hope looks forward with confidence to the provision of God. And when you have faith in God and you love God, you're compelled to, to have confidence in what is ahead, confidence in God. We've got a, a couple that I love so much in our church who, uh, he went into the hospital last week and I, I stopped by to check on him and, and thankfully the surgery was successful, uh, but then found out that, that he'd got pneumonia and, and things had gotten worse. And so I went and saw him on Friday and, and they were both so discouraged and it, things were not going well. And so we began to talk about why. 
And, and, and they said, you know, we've been thinking about this. And, and, and they said, what, what do you think? We think that maybe the reason why all this is happening is because we have friends and family who need to see what it looks like to have hope when there's no earthly reason to hope. You know, it, 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 Christianity becomes kind of cheap when, when all it is is God's our ultimate Santa Claus and we believe as long as he gives us what we want and as long as things are going the way, the way we want them to go. But you know what real hope is? Hope is when the world is coming against you and yet you still have a smile on your face because you know the God who holds everything in place. And they said, you know what? We think that maybe this is why this is happening so that we can show what living hope, real hope is about. So after we prayed, I went home and I was studying and I came across this and I, I sent it to him. I think I even posted it. This is by J.R. McDuff. Look what it says. This is so good. This is, this is hope, guys. The furnace may be hot, but not only can I trust the hand that lights the fire, I can also have the assurance the fire will not consume, but only, look at this, refine. And when the refining process is complete, not a moment too soon or too late, I will come forth as gold. The fire of our life is not to consume, it is to refine. Look, the pain would be removed from many an agonizing trial if only I could see what Job saw during his time of severe affliction. When all earthly hope lay dashed at his feet, he saw nothing but the hand of God. When you have hope, when anything hard or horrible happens, behind it all, you see the hand of God and you trust his plan, his promises, his, his purpose for it. And still could say, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him, Job thirteen fifteen. Hope is the capacity to live by faith and love of God when there's no earthly reason to have hope. And I'm going to tell you, if you're going through something right now, and I'm quite certain if we took a survey, most of us would say we're going through something right now. If we can have faith, we can trust in the love of God, then we can have hope and we can go and do battle in this spiritual war we're in. We got to wake up. We are children of the light and we got to stay awake and we got to be prepared. And having made, been made prepared, we've got to live but notice how we live. As, as children of the King of Light, let us live with Him. Important preposition there. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live. Look at that. Live with Him. I want you to notice the two distinctions of the Christian life. First of all, we are not under the wrath of God. Because our sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And secondly, we are alive to God. We are with him whether we are alive or dead, physically speaking. Note, first of all, when we, we're thinking about this life, this life, we are not destined for wrath. Why? Because the wrath of God has been satisfied in the death of Jesus Christ for everyone who believes. We are covered. Jack Miller's a devotion I read just about every day. And here's what he said about 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things literally means that love always covers. Covers. What does that mean that it covers? We were in an ice cream place the other day and a, a ball team came in and uh, we were watching and, and that one little guy came up to his coach. He said, coach, I can't get any. I don't have any money. He said, buddy, you get whatever you want. I got you covered. What does that mean? 
That meant that that kid who didn't have the resources to get what he wanted was able to get it because someone outside of him paid the price. He was covered. For those of us who are in Christ, the sin that we, that we would have to pay for with our own death has been paid for by Jesus Christ. We are covered. The wrath of God is satisfied. We are free. We look forward to judgment because we know that we're going to be able to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done in our place. And so now we're alive with him. He said, whether we sleep now, this goes back not to what we saw earlier in six and seven. This is now talking about first Corinthians, uh, first Thessalonians four thirteen. sleep. He's talking about death. This word sleep now is an idiom for death. Now he says, whether we're alive physically or whether we're dead physically, we are always alive with him because to be absent from the body is to be what present with the Lord. So we're always with him as we live in this life. We are with him. We are not destined for wrath. We are alive with him. And in light of the fact that we are awake and need to stay awake and we're prepared because we're in a spiritual battle and because we know that we are with him, something specific we all need to be doing. Write it down. As children of the king of light, let us encourage one another. Encourage one another. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another just as you are doing. With the hope of all this, this little young church is being told as we are today to encourage one another and build one another up. Can I tell you, you can't do that if you're not here. You can't do that if you don't have relationships with people in this church. You can't do that if you're not serving and making a difference in the life of this church. You can't do that if you've not been equipped to do it. Some of you don't know how, you don't know what to do. You've not been trained, you need to be equipped. And you can't do it if you're not sharing the gospel, if you're not making disciples and multiplying your faith. You guys know this. We do five things here at Living Hope. It's called the Disciples Pathway. We worship, connect, serve, equip, multiply. If you're not doing this, then you're not encouraging. You're not building up. And we need you. I know some of you think, it doesn't matter if I come to worship. I mean, they've got this big old church. What, what difference does it make? It makes all the difference in the world. See, when you're not here, that's one last voice that, to, to bring glory to the king of heaven who, who is worthy of it, who deserves it. And see, when you're not here to give that, you know what it might make someone who sits around you to think, well, maybe God isn't worth worship. I mean, after all, they've gone to the game. I mean, after all, they're, th th what they're doing must be more important than bringing glory to the king of heaven who died for our sins. And you see how that discourages rather than encourages? We gotta be here. We gotta not just worship, we gotta connect. Listen, you're going to go through a trial. Some of you are going through it right now. What's so sad is some of you are going through it alone because you don't have relationships in this body. You may show up for church every now and then, but no one, no one really knows what's going on in your life. And can I just tell you, your sadness is far more sad than it needs to be. And your joys are far less joyful than they should be. See, when you're going through a trial and you've got people who are there with you and love you, it strengthens you. It encourages you. It builds you up. And when you go through a fun time in life, the birth of a child, a raise, a promotion, a, a, a growth in spiritual life, you have others there to celebrate it with you. It makes it all the more better. We need to worship, connect. We got to serve. Everybody, every member of this church, if you're a member of this church, listen, we're a family. This is God's house. Everybody's got chores to do around here. All right. If you're not doing your chores, guess what? Somebody else is. And just like at home, mama's tired of it, all right? 
we have got to get more people to serve. We're, we're better than most. Looking at us statistically, most places it's a 20-80 principle. We're, we're much more around 35 to 40% are doing 80% of the work, but that's still not right. We need, to, we need to be a church that serves. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life. And so must we. Some of you need to be equipped to do that. You don't know how to have a healthy marriage. You don't know how to study the Bible. You, you, don't, you don't know how to serve and, and to make a difference in your child's life. You need to be equipped to do that. We, we offer that almost year round. Through the uh, Counseling Center, the Hope for Biblical Counseling, that's offered every day. Some of you need to be equipped to live for Christ. And we all need to be sharing our faith. Wasn't it great to see that young person uh, baptized today? We had three others baptized at the 930 service. You know what that does? It encourages this church. When we see disciples being made, folks making public profession of their faith, it encourages the heart of this church. So let me ask you, is that what you're doing? Are you awake? Are you prepared? Are you living with him? And are you being an encouragement to the body of Christ? Are you living as a child of the King of light? If not, I wanna ask you right now, as we're singing in just a moment, to come and pray and ask God to make you that. And if you have a need in your life or in your family, I wanna ask you to ask God to intervene and provide for that need. The rest of us are gonna sing a song of profession of faith. And if you're not praying, then you need to be singing this as a profession of faith, speaking to where we stand in Christ. Let's stand together now as we pray. Lord, as we come into this time of reflection, some to come and pray, I pray that you will hear the prayers of each person and you will answer them according to your will and you will bless them. Lord, for those of us who now reflect in this song of, of, of the reality of our own lives, of our calling and commitment, pray that we'll bring you glory and honor and praise. And that as we get ready to go, Lord, that we are renewed in, in what it means to live hopeful and be helpful, that we will stand with you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen.